America's original and oldest heritage pack company, Duluth Pack, hosts a podcast led by CEO Tom Sega. Real stories with real people who we admire, plus outdoor industry conversations, business discussions, entrepreneurial advice, and more. Now enjoy this week's episode of Leader of the Pack. The boundaries have been broken. Flight stopper pellets blended with premium steel and deployed with the rear opening flight control flex wide longer range cleaner shooting denser patterns the sky is the limit black cloud hey everybody tom sega from duluth pack and this is the duluth pack podcast leader of the pack our very special guest today is Eric Johnson, attorney and partner, and we will get into that later, at Freiberger, Buchanan, Smith, and Frederick Law Firm. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's great to have you. And you know, you are on all these podcasts that we've done. You're the first lawyer. And uh, I hope you're not charging me here So as we get going. So turn that little dial off over yeah. there. Uh, as we get going here, but we want to learn all about you and your journey to not only becoming a lawyer, Eric, but we also want to learn about be you becoming a partner now in, a, in a, a law firm, which I guess I would consider a large law firm, but you can tell us about it. So Eric, tell us, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Uh, well, I, I, I grew up here in Duluth, Minnesota, uh, born and raised. Um, grew up in the, I guess, kind of the, the Hunter's Park neighborhood, uh, grew up on one of the sides of Hartley Park. Um, so could walk, uh, out my door and, and get on the trails, uh, in Hartley and just, uh, spent a lot of my very, very younger years, uh, exploring the woods with, with friends from the neighborhood and, uh, putting the cross country skis on, riding bikes on the trails, uh, definitely, uh, uh, the outdoors were a big part of uh, my my early childhood. That's what I always go to when people ask me where I grew up. So, Eric, I, I'm familiar with this place that you call Hartley Park. And can you tell people a little bit more about that? Because they might be thinking it's just like this open park thing here. But knowing it, I mean, it's it's much grander than than just that. Right. So. Uh, I mean, as far as I understand the history of it, uh, it was at one time uh, in the in the early 20th century, a privately owned uh, large piece of land. There was farming done on it. There was recreation done on it. Um, and over the course of time, uh, the the family that owned it uh, donated it to the city of Duluth to be used as a as as a park for Duluthians to to get out and enjoy, uh, and in, in in that time, uh, there's been cross country trails built into it. There have been hiking trails. Uh, you know, there's there's a pond for fishing and and canoeing. Uh, it's just a it's just a big open space, one of many big open spaces we're lucky enough to have uh, in our city. That uh, is just kind of there for for folks to enjoy and we're lucky enough to to have the city uh maintaining it for us pitching in and uh keeping the space available for folks to use and and enjoy like i said 
you know, and I have to agree with you because I've been lucky enough to have grown up uh, near that area a long time before you, but it was such a great area to grow up. I mean, we'd go camping out there and fishing in the place that you're talking about. And I mean, heck, there's deer everywhere and bear and every other wildlife that you could think of out there. Yeah, yeah, there's uh, it definitely a, a, a an opportunity for for kids and my childhood kids kind of getting out on on their own and exploring and just uh figuring out uh figuring out what uh what hurt when you when you fell down climbing climbing rocks and trees and uh seeing new bugs and plants and animals yeah it it was it was it was a nice way to 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 grow up uh having that connection uh just out my back door so i have to ask this question because i know it's uh it's nhl playoffs right now going on uh for stanley cup and yeah. uh, you are our second generation of a family that were quite accomplished hockey players and you kind of led the charge for generation number two so tell us a little bit about that growing up and playing yeah so uh not only did we live nearby hartley park but we were kind of just up the hill from glen avon hockey rinks uh kind of down and down in that uh woodland hunters park uh uh area of town uh so uh my dad uh name is Steve Johnson. Uh, he was my first hockey coach, uh, spent, uh, spent a lot of late nights down at Glen Avon flooding, uh, with the other dads to, to get the rinks all in shape. So kids could, could practice and, and play games there. And, uh, it was just kind of a, a, a thing that made Duluth really unique, uh, you know, growing up and you see, uh, other hockey communities and particularly in the southern part of the state that don't have kind of the neighborhood hockey program uh, where it's it's run by volunteer parents and and others from the community who just kind of wanted to have that place and opportunity for for their kids and uh, I was very lucky to have uh, have grown up playing playing on the rinks at Glen Avon walking home late at night when they turned the lights off on us and you know, growing up from there, played played uh, Pee Wee and Bantam hockey for Duluth East, high school hockey for Duluth, Duluth East, and was fortunate enough to uh, get to play hockey in college as well. Um, my brother, uh, three years younger than me, did the same, kind of followed the same route, um, went beyond me. He played uh, on a Division One hockey program. Uh, and yeah, it was a it was a. a a, a great way to get involved, meet folks, of course, and just, uh, you know, beat the Duluth winters. Uh, yeah, especially after winter like we just had, or actually I'd hate to even say had because it won't quit. Right. Right. Yes. We, uh, we, we've been through a lot this year with the, hitting that snow record, uh, something we can be very proud of now. And, uh, you know, hopefully we don't sniff it again for for quite some time. I I'd rather have that uh, that early spring to you know get out on the golf course uh, uh, every year, but maybe next year. Yeah, exactly. And you know something you said there, Eric, and and we'll get on to your professional career here, but but you had mentioned about and and for our listeners who aren't from the north, 
talking yeah. about outside flooding hockey rinks, the father's doing that. And then you coming up playing um, on outdoor hockey rinks before, you know, you started playing on the indoor stuff and the old, what they would call rink ratting or pond hockey. I mean, oh, yeah. you're a testament of it on, on how fun that is and what a great uh, youth that can be. For yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, when, when, when you're, when you're on a, a team growing up, uh, you've got practices, you've got games and all that. But, you know, when it's the middle of winter and you've got ice, uh, you know, outside that you can go use, that's that's where you and your buddies kind of want to be growing up. So you either walk to the rink or mom or dad drops you off with your gear on a on a Saturday or Sunday morning. And you just kind of spend the whole day playing games with uh, whoever shows up. That's a really great experience for me to kind of look back on and feel like we we have that uh just kind of as a special thing uh up in the north here in in Minnesota and it was you know really just like I kind of said made possible by our parents uh putting the time in to 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 get the rinks and the ice ready and you know I'm not I'm not in that group yet uh cuz my my two daughters uh have not decided to make the jump into hockey yet but all my buddies that I grew up with now, the shoes on the other foot, and they're the ones spending the late nights uh, at the rinks, making it happen for their kids. So it's it's really awesome that that uh, it's something that we continue to do up here in in northern Minnesota. You know, it makes me feel good to hear that the next generation of fathers is out there flooding those rinks like we all had to do, and our fathers all did. That that is that's a tradition that is so awesome, and I hope it never ends in at least this Thanks. part of the world. Uh, so while you're playing hockey out there, we're going to start talking about career now and, and going on to, you know, uh, secondary school and, and college and whatnot. Mm -hmm. uh, did you know that you wanted to be a lawyer when you're out on the rinks on Saturday with your buddies playing uh, playing shinny hockey and whatnot that, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a lawyer? Or is this something that you came up with once you went to college? Yeah, it was definitely the the latter uh, I was not thinking about uh, choosing the law as as my career at an early age. Um, I, th I think I, I got to that point by the time I was in college because uh, I, I, I had figured out that I was not going to be a science guy. Um, it just it, that the the biology and the physics uh, and I took those classes in high school and college but it just it didn't click with me the way that the reading and writing and uh you know the the, the humanities classes did and uh so I wanted to I wanted to have a career that was kind of built on those foundations uh and I um yeah just just kind of thought that's you know, that sounds like a, a career in the law, uh, reading the law, trying to understand it, uh, doing analysis and applying it to everyday situations for, for folks who need help kind of navigating uh, the legal environment out there. So Eric, your, your undergraduate you got from Middlebury. Yeah, so it's, it's in the state of Vermont, a uh, small uh, liberal arts college of maybe 2,500 or 3,000 students uh, in a town of about 7,000 people. Um, yeah, just uh, 
you know, when you, you think of Vermont, that's it's it's kind of the stereotypical Vermont town with the, the white church steeple in the middle of the town square uh, with green mountains all around and, and very, very pretty. Not not unlike uh, northern Minnesota here, just on a, a that much smaller kind of New England, New England scale. And so what did you major in and did you also have a minor? I majored in international relations, uh, which, you know, again, kind of when I when I decided on that, uh, I did not really ever expect it to be my career path. I took it more as, you know, something where I would have an opportunity to study something that I was interested in during my undergrad years with the expectation that I would go on to a career in 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 the law. Um, so I majored in, in international relations. It was a lot of political science classes. Um, uh, and I think the minor actually to to think back on it, the minor was in political science itself. I think I also minored in Spanish. Um, uh, seemed maybe in my freshman year of college to, to pair an international relations major with a Spanish minor. Uh, if uh if, if if i wound up being a diplomat or something someday but uh my spanish uh sad to say is is now uh much less conversational than it was at its peak in uh 20 years ago so are you gonna have to fire that back up as your children are taking languages now so that you can uh, help them out or is it gonna come back to you no well i i hope so i uh, i feel like uh it, it it already has, you know, my my early school skills uh, and learning are coming back to me now that I've got a second grader and a kindergartner. Although the way they teach math now is just so foreign to me that, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm learning it anew again. Um, but yeah, I, I it's one of the joys of being a parent is uh, uh, getting to go through that learning experience uh, with your kids. And I, if it's if it's Spanish, or if it's you know, editing their book report or, you know, anything like that. I, uh, I'll be firing it up as much as, uh, as much as they have patience for me, my kids, I mean. Exactly. So you're in college, you're at Middlebury, you're, 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 you have your major and you know that eventually you'd like to go on to law school. So for our listeners who may be in the same seat that you were in back then, you're in your undergraduate and you, you're going, you know, I'd love to get into to law school, can you explain to us the process you go to to number one apply for law schools, and do you apply for just one? Do you apply for many, um, and hoping to get into one? How does that work? Yeah, um, well, I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's much. Uh, I found it to be much the same process as uh, being a high school student applying for undergraduate uh, admission to to colleges. Um, you you kind of you, you you do your research you think about i mean my process was it started with where i wanted to be employed uh once i ultimately got my law degree and for me that was um midwest uh most certainly uh minnesota if possible and and duluth uh being you know the best possible outcome uh so i i concentrated my applications on Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, 
schools, uh, law schools. Um, and, you know, it's like I said, the application process is, is very similar to undergraduates. I mean, you're filling out a form application and writing an essay to try to kind of distinguish yourself amongst all of the applicants um, and sending it in and and waiting to, to get your decision and just kind of going from there. Eric, how about the, the uh, LSATs? Right. So the LSAT is... Uh, is kind of the uh, the the skills test um, that law schools use um, for evaluating. It's just I, as far as I understand, it's just another evaluation tool that they use for applicants, much like ACTs and SATs are uh, for undergraduate many undergraduate schools. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily required, but it's kind of one of those things where if people who you whose applications you are up against uh, in an admissions office are all taking it, you 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 kind of got to do it. Um, and it and it's it 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 definitely does not test how good of a lawyer one is going to be, uh, one way or the other. It's it's a test that just. Uh, tests your critical thinking skills and your, you know, it has a lot of logic games and teaches you to start thinking at least the way that uh, you may have to uh, once you're a practicing lawyer. Um, although, you know, the fact patterns are probably not anything like you experience in real life, but they, they make for a handy uh, uh, test. Um, so yeah, uh, I I I I did take the LSAT. I spent a, a lot of time doing uh, a review course. You know, just like folks do with other types of standardized tests. You want to you want to prepare, read the study books, do the practice exams, and um, I actually did it while I was in Madrid, Spain, on a study abroad semester. Wound up taking the the LSAT with uh, maybe fifteen other Americans who happened to be studying abroad uh, in Spain at the time. I didn't know any of them. Uh, just the timing had, happened to work out that way that uh, I had to I had to find a way to take the take the LSAT uh, in a different country, which not many folks do, I suppose. Eric, were you able to do it online at that point or how did you do that when you're you know in a different country? Um, so my my review course was was entirely online. Um, so, uh, the, the, the school that I was going to there, uh, had a, had a computer lab <laughs> that I would, that I would use after class every day. Um, just log in, do my, do my review, do my practice tests, that kind of thing. And then, uh, on the test day, uh, I showed up at a, at a physical location that the, uh, you know, the company or the, uh, the college board equivalent for for law schools uh, uh, had arranged for, and me and fifteen other people showed up in person and took a took a paper and pencil test, uh, and they shipped them back to the states and and graded them for us, and we got our scores. Well, you obviously did well because you got into a pretty darn good law school. So you end up going to William Mitchell Law School, and that's in the Twin Cities of Minnesota. Yep, that's in uh, it. That's in Saint Paul. 
um, now now known as uh, Mitchell Hamlin Law School. Uh, in the time since I I graduated from William Mitchell, uh, that school and Hamlin Law School merged to to create a, a single law school. So, at the time I was in school, there were four four law schools in Minnesota. Those two plus the University of Minnesota and St. Thomas. Now we have three law schools. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm not entirely positive on the numbers, but the the consolidation, at least at the time I graduated when, you know, it was 2008 and there was a bit of a blip in, in the, I guess, the law school graduate uh, industry where there were more graduates each year and not enough jobs to uh, for all of them to take. Uh, and and Minnesota having uh, eight or nine hundred new law grads every year, the market just didn't have uh, as many jobs to satisfy that at the time. And so Mitchell and and Hamlin joined forces, and uh, thankfully the the market uh, picked back up in in subsequent years. And I think everyone is on better footing since then. But yeah, I, I I got to spend three years uh, living in uh, in Saint Paul on on Grand Avenue, a, a beautiful spot in a in a nice town, and uh, yeah, just it was very grateful for the opportunity to go to 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 William Mitchell because a lot of a lot of folks who do practice law in Minnesota uh, graduated from there, and it's and it's a great network of of alumni both uh in northern minnesota and and throughout the state so nice 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 connections to have from the school eric you said that it's three years to get your law degree yes yes okay. uh on a on a standard full-time student basis uh uh william mitchell has always kind of been unique in in the way that it offers part-time degrees so if folks who are working during the day and want to take their law school classes at night. It's a flexible, flexible schedule. So three years not necessarily mandatory, but that's that's what I wound up doing. So you powered on through as a full time student. I did, yes. Um, let's talk about internships, residencies, requirements of states as you're still in school before taking the bar exam. So what what all goes into that? And, and can you tell us also a little bit about year one versus year two versus year three in law school because you you kind of you hear sure. stories from lawyers on year one two three and yeah. uh the good the bad and the ugly i guess yeah and there's there's some there's some uh there's there's some good uh uh cliches that you hear about what 1L, 2L, and 3L years all all do, and I, I don't remember exactly what it is. I think 1L is they scare you to death, 2L they work you to death, and 3L they bore you to death. <laughs> Something like that. I, I I could be off on that, but um. So yeah, so so coming into law school as a first year, um, having had kind of a liberal arts type undergrad and being someone who was drawn to the law because I enjoy reading and writing. Um, the biggest change for me uh, was really kind of relearning the writing style that you need to utilize uh, being a lawyer. Uh, 
for me growing up and through undergrad, I always thought that the writing style that you read in in fiction novels and and other things, uh, and even nonfiction novels sometimes, but I was always more drawn and a, a reader of fiction. I I I brought that style of writing that I'd kind of developed in in my undergraduate years to law school and and found that it didn't really fit uh what we're trying to accomplish when we when we write uh legal documents uh it's uh, you don't want to have any wasted words uh and the the kind of the the flowery descriptive uh writing style that you will see a lot of times in 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 poetry and and fictional works just it just doesn't apply it's it's no nonsense uh, and something i had to learn very quickly and and it had uh some good direction from from my professors in kind of refocusing uh that um and so so law school you 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 it, it it's not unlike undergrad in that uh your first year you're kind of taking your your uh your basics classes you know you have your uh real real property class uh your torts class your contracts class your evidence uh that might have actually been too well evidence civil procedure um just kind of covering the basics of of all sorts of areas of 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 law that uh, affect folks' everyday lives, and and the majority of lawyers uh, spend a lot of their time working in, uh, whether you're a, a real estate transactional lawyer, a contract writer, or a or a civil litigator or a criminal defense attorney, uh, you you get a little bit of of all of that in the first two years of of your law school career. Um, third year uh you're you're working i i'd say at least in my experience it was much more you had the opportunity to pick your specialized classes if you wanted to drill down on article 9 of the uniform commercial code or do an advanced trial advocacy class um a, a lot of folks by that time had kind of decided what uh, what track they wanted to come out of law school and pursue. And the third year was the opportunity to, to kind of point ourselves in that direction. And what direction did you, Eric, decide to go? And then we'll get into some of that as we go forward on what you ex your expertise is now. Did you know that America's original manufacturer of canoe and kayak stabilizers was recently featured on Fox and Friends? Spring Creek Manufacturing was recognized on Fox News for being a leader in the made in the USA industry for their top quality truck racks, the world's best camp saw, and their assortment of water sports equipment, including stabilizers for canoes, kayaks, and stand-up paddle boards, as well as their canoe seats and motor mounts. Enjoy an exclusive 15% off Yes, 15% off your next online order at springcreek.com with the code LEADER15, that is L-E-A-D-E-R-1-5. Exclusions apply. Now, back to the podcast. One of the things you'd asked about before was uh, 
um, was it uh, a residency or any kind of uh, requirement for 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 kind of practical work while you're getting your education. Um, there isn't anything like that uh, that I would analogize to a medical school residency for lawyers. Um, one thing that would be maybe most analogous to it was, that I was fortunate enough to take advantage of was I got to be a summer law clerk uh, at a law firm in the Twin Cities. Um, just uh, just working an hourly job, uh, nine to five in the summers to, uh, I guess, pay my pay my rent and get some practical experience in 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 the law as well. Um, so that was at a, a civil litigation law firm, trial attorneys, uh, and my job was basically uh, just to take take a legal issue that had come up in a case, research the law on it. And then write a memo to the attorney who assigned it to me. You know, here's here's what the law in Minnesota or in Wisconsin or whatever state uh, the case was in says. And here's how I think the court should uh, or the court would decide the issue, whether for or against our client. Um, and uh, tasks similar to that, where uh, I'm just being assigned assigned research and writing and, and analysis uh, daily. And, you know, that was like, for me, who had, had, that was the kind of the reason that I got into the law and the, uh, or became interested in, in pursuing a legal career in the first place. Uh, that was, that was really enjoyable for me because I got to, you know, it's, it's issues that are changing all the time, the opportunity to, read and learn and really dig in on on legal topics and to then produce what you know you would hope would be a persuasive written narrative to help uh, the person that I was working with presented in a way that would be persuasive and result in a good outcome for for the client so that uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to work in that capacity as a summer law clerk uh, after the first and second years of of law school, um, supplementing uh, some time uh, during the school year as well. Um, and, and really, that's where I was able to learn what it takes and what it what is required of a lawyer on a day to day basis. Law school gives you kind of the knowledge, a uh, broad base of knowledge uh, on, on legal topics, but you for for practical experience and practical understanding of what the job is and requires, uh, my my clerkship is really what kind of taught me that. Well, that's awesome. So you gained a lot of knowledge and, and a lot of experience uh, as you were working and and uh, and helping out other lawyers. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and you know most often uh, the the step from being a law clerk to being a you know a, a first year or second year associate at a law firm, uh, you're, you, you, it, it's going to vary from firm to firm, but um, a lot of times uh, you're, you're just making that step up. Uh, and tasks may not be uh, all that much different, but it definitely helped uh, me to be able to make that transition from law student, law clerk to first year associate at a law firm.
Eric, tell us about the bar exam and and what preparation goes into this and and walk us through it because you we hear from so many people that you know taking the bar exam is brutal. Sure. Um so this this was uh 15 years ago for me. So I'm uh, uh things may have changed since then, but uh you know again this the bar exam is is what uh in Minnesota is required to to get your your license to practice. You need to have a bar license. Um for me, uh I took it in July after my uh, I had gotten my law degree in I think May. So it 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 was a it was a two month time period where you basically your your nine to five or much earlier to much later job becomes studying for the bar. And you know, it it most often it will cover topics that you took classes on in law school. So you're, you know, you have sections of the bar exam on real property and contracts and torts, etc. Et so a lot of it is stuff that uh, you know you you will have lived for at least a semester at some point along the way, but uh, you know just kind of going back to your class notes isn't really going to cut it uh, for most people. So uh, me and all uh, the people that I went to school with and studied with, we signed up for the bar review, the bar review course. So it's it's. Uh, a few hours a day meeting uh, in a group, getting a lecture. It's just kind of like going to law school all again, except it's review of stuff that you that you learned uh, uh, in years past. It's uh, it's it's just an it's just another re it's a really long test, and it's and it's uh, essay writing. It's uh, I think there's when I took it, there was multiple choice, but it's a, it's a two day exam, uh, with elements of multiple choice and essay writing on all, you know, maybe seven or eight different topics that are selected each year, um, by the, by the board of law examiners. And I don't think I'm not remembering, I don't think it's the case, but I don't think they tell you what topics are going to be on the exam each year. There's just a pool that over the course of time, people have, you know, come to recognize that it's, you know, the seven or eight on your exam are going to be among this list of 20 or something. And you have to study for all 20 because you don't know which ones are going to be on there. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's an experience that's, ha it has earned its reputation of being uh, a little bit harrowing. Um, but it, for me, anyways, it was important to remind myself that uh, the test that I'm studying for is stuff that I have lived for the last three years, and uh, that I would uh, I was going to be prepared for it one way or the other. And uh, just kind of keeping that mindset helped me kind of power through the 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 long review days um, where you know, you felt like you just kind of wanted to give up and not do it anymore. But uh, it, yeah, it, it, the, the test days finally came. Uh, 
you know, you feel, you feel nerves sitting down, uh, for, for many, many hours, uh, working through times tests, but, uh, again, it was just kind of something that felt like you had put the time in, uh, not only over the two months between graduating and, and test day, but in the three years before that, that you just, uh, feel like you feel like you've put the time in and, and, uh, you should do well. Uh, as long as you, as long as you uh, feel confident that you've done your best up to that point. Eric, as I was watching you speak and talking about the different parts of the bar exam, we're doing this over a Zoom. Yeah, I could see your expressions changing as you were thinking through <laughs> the different parts of it. I didn't mean to put you through the pain again. <laughs> uh, no, it was yeah, it uh, it it definitely is a is a one of a kind experience. Uh, you know, the last, the last time, uh, the last time in my life that I've, I've spent, uh, hours and hours and hours just dedicated to, to learning, to, to, to learning random legal topics. I, I get to do it on a much smaller scale every day here, but it's, uh, it, it's not nearly the, the amount of time and, uh, mental and emotional energy that, 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 that was so. I, I was fortunate to only have to do it once. No, oh, congratulations 15 years ago, right? So our very special guest today is Eric Johnson, attorney and partner at Freiberger, Buchanan, Smith, and Frederick Law Firm in Duluth, Minnesota. Eric, let's let's move into some of your specialties now. Well, first, before we get there, let me ask you one question. I read that you are licensed in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and North Dakota. Do you have to take the bar for all three of these states because the punishment wasn't bad enough the first time? <laughs> uh, no, fortunately, um, I uh, did not have to take I have not had to take a bar exam anywhere else. Um, I am uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin have reciprocity. Um, so once you have practiced for a certain number of years in Minnesota, you can apply to Wisconsin uh, and just say, you know, here's my, here's my Minnesota law license. Here's my history of practice. Here's my, you know, my three or five references. Uh, will you, will, will you let me in? And Wisconsin's nice enough to do that for us. Um, North Dakota, uh, I, I, I was admitted to practice for one case, uh, in, in federal court in, in North Dakota. Um, so, I don't know if I if I've needed to keep that up or not, but um, that was that was some time ago, and and certainly not an active practitioner there. Um, just this week, I I became a licensed attorney in the state of Arizona. Also, uh, yeah, uh, have a have 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 a client who does a fair amount of of work uh, out of their Arizona office. Um, so it was. Uh, thought to be a good idea for me to maybe get my licensure down there. That was, uh, it wasn't a bar exam, but I had to take about 10, 15 hours of, of video learning just to, you know, familiarize with, uh, some unique aspects of, of Arizona law. Um, but other than that, the, the application process was much the same, uh, as, as when I became admitted in Wisconsin, just, able to apply my years of practice in Minnesota to, to, uh, 
toward the Arizona application. You know, we, as we started out the podcast today, Eric, we talked about how brutal this winter was. I'm not sure if you're aware, but the winters, now that you're licensed in Arizona, the winters are a lot more mild down there. And they, I've been told they have good golf courses. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely have uh, have ideas of uh, of of uh, doing some some visits down down there in the uh, in the winter months uh, when when I'm able to. So definitely some benefits. Uh, hopefully we'll we'll go with that that new uh, law license. Take advantage of it every moment that you can, especially in about a six month period, which yeah. I, I think we all know. So Eric, let's let's fast forward a little bit now and talk about the areas that you specialize in. And then after that, my follow-up will be is your firm specializes obviously more broadly than just you. But let's first talk about what do you specialize in? And if somebody's listening to this in Minnesota and they're looking for an attorney uh, and, and they're going, hey, okay, I heard this Eric on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to look him up. Yeah, sure. Um so personally, I I I try to uh, I I try not to have just just one quote unquote specialty. I I try to know enough about a, a fair amount of things that I can be, you know, both helpful to clients and helpful to others in my firm who 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 may be more specialized. Um, my work primarily is in uh, real estate, real property issues, uh, contract work. Uh, and uh, real estate uh, development lending uh, is kind of one that I've I've started working in more recently. Um, when I started uh, as a first year associate, and this kind of dovetailed with the the law clerk experience I had while I was in law school, I worked with our civil litigation group here in our office, uh, which is going going to court when folks are suing each other for money or for uh, a, a property dispute. Um, it was that research and writing aspect that uh, kind of uh, put me in a in a good place to to be helpful to our our group of lawyers who focuses on civil disputes uh, because when you when you uh, are before a court, you're submitting written briefs uh, to the court that, you hope are persuasive on behalf of your client. Um, so my ability to to do the legal research and writing uh, put my foot in the door with with that group in, in our office. And I continue to 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 dabble somewhat in in litigation, but uh, we've got folks who are actual trial attorneys who will uh, try cases and uh, take those civil litigation files steps beyond what. Uh, uh, I like to do in my practice, and uh, that that that's a very uh, nice benefit of working in a in a law firm that has folks uh, who are uh, skilled in so many different areas of of law that we can kind of all work together as a team. And when when one of us has a case that dives into an area that uh, may not be. Uh, something that they're comfortable working with. They can walk down the hall and ask for some help and uh, it becomes uh, more of a team effort, at least uh, on on parts of some cases. And that's where, if I'm correct, 26 attorneys uh, working at your firm? Uh, I, I 
I don't know if I can put a pin on the exact number. Sounds kind of weird, but uh, it's, yeah, ever, ever since I've been here over the 15 years, it's been 25 to 30 attorneys, uh, largest law firm north of the Twin Cities, I believe. Uh, and we cover practically every area of, of civil law. Um, we don't do any criminal defense work, um, but on the civil side of things, we do everything from contracts and real estate to public finance. Um, we do mining law. We do a lot of uh, work with local financial institutions on both uh, front-end lending, uh, so real estate development, business development loans, um, and then uh, helping those clients out uh, in other aspects of the lending relationship, I guess you would say. Eric, on that side of it, are you are you working with the bank then on the lending end of it? Are they your client or would be the developers that are trying to get financing and you're trying to work some type of financing into development? Sure. Um, uh, for for me personally, uh, I'm working on the bank side when when they have a uh, a borrower or a customer come in and say, I've got this plan. Can I get a loan? Uh, the bank underwrites it, uh, decides whether it's it's something the bank wants to provide financing for. And when they, uh, well, I, I guess uh, even earlier than when they make a decision, they will come, come to our office and ask questions about uh, legal implications of, of projects or, uh, uh, or, or whether or not to make the loan. And then once the, the decision has been made to, to go forward with it, um, we will help help uh, the financial institutions prepare the, the the legal documents that will govern the the lending relationship. Um, a lot of times, borrowers are providing real estate as collateral for the loan, and we're uh, doing uh, a lot of the uh, title work, uh, reviewing title reports, and advising the client on the on the title aspects of 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 the lending uh, that they're doing. Others in my firm will also represent the developers uh, looking to get the loan, looking to develop their business and and use our clients or use use uh, bank financing to to further that. And uh, yeah, so it's it it's definitely uh, not just a one sided job that we do here. We work with both both uh, lenders and and businesses on. Uh, on loan loan work. And so the you, your firm stretches across virtually all areas of law, and then you, as one of the of uh, the attorneys and and one of the partners, you specialize in smaller areas of the law, uh, and and then lean on each other. Yeah, because uh, you had mentioned about uh, litigating, and one of my questions was, how often do you have cases go to trial that you're actually going into the courthouse? Um, uh, for, for me personally, not very often. Um, uh, I've tried one case, uh, and it was a win. So that's, uh, I get to, I, I, I've got a, I'm batting a thousand. Um, but like I said, uh, we've got lawyers who are much better at, at, at that stuff than me here and, and much more apt to, uh, excel in, in kind of that forum that, that, that it takes to be a, a, a trial attorney. So we're, we're, we're very lucky 
uh, at our firm that, that we've got those folks. Um, I, I, you know, from time to time, we'll, we'll, I'll go in front of a judge and make arguments. Um, and interestingly, uh, the COVID pandemic has kind of brought a lot of that court work onto Zoom. Uh, so it, things are becoming a lot more efficient. Um, and I, it, I guess talking about not really being one to, to litigate and stand up in court, um, folks probably won't be surprised to know that uh, the whole court process has become a little less formal with the uh, injection of video conferencing. Um, so both for both lawyers and, and clients, it's, it's a little bit of a new world that I think the state of Minnesota has adapted to pretty nicely and, and, you know, made the, the whole process work a little bit more efficiently. Eric, one question I got to ask is how intimidating is it dealing with judges from a lawyer's perspective? You know, I don't think it's all that intimidating. Uh, 99% of the time, judges are just uh, there to listen um, and to try to understand what the what the legal issues are and and be thoughtful and uh make a decision based on uh, the facts and the record and, and uh, that they're given and, you know, their own research and review and understanding of the law. I've, I've been in courtrooms a lot of times where, uh, you know, my experience with judges has just been where uh, that they are most every time just very patient, uh, compassionate people who uh, deal with a really wide spectrum of of legal issues on their day to day, um, and it's and it's really impressive, uh, not only their ability to understand and apply the law, but to uh, deal with people in a way that you know kind of makes you feel like you can be proud of the legal system. Eric, what what does a typical day look like for you? A uh, typical day, it's uh, it's uh, it's balancing uh, time between uh, reading and responding to emails. You're always juggling a lot of a lot of different files at the same time, trying to be responsive to to clients um, and to other lawyers that I'm working with. Um, it it you know it's going to involve uh, a lot of reading and writing at the same time. Uh, spend a fair amount of time on the phone or on zoom uh either with uh other lawyers or 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 clients or colleagues um just trying to kind of stay on top of 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 my schedule and um you know my schedule could involve five or ten or fifteen different uh files at the same time um and just being able to kind of jump from one to the other is definitely an acquired skill, um, particularly because there's times where you've got a case that you feel like you're really invested in and you've, you've, you've got you've, you've to devote more time to that than to others. And um, just, just being able to balance uh, that out day to day, week to week uh, is, is definitely something with, you know, not unlike many other professions, but uh definitely something I've had to kind of hone as a skill as, as I've practiced year after year. 
Eric, and you have a lot of professional activities and some awards and recognitions, and I want to read some of these off because these are these are pretty darn impressive. Obviously, Minnesota State Bar Association, you remember, Wisconsin State Bar Association, American Bar Association, and locally, Greater Downtown Council, uh, Board of Directors and Board Chair in 2015, uh, Spirit of Duluth Hockey Tournament, the Planning Committee, which... I actually played at the second ever Spirit of Duluth oh, Hockey man. Journey. Yeah. So I'm, I'm dating myself now. And uh, North Shore Bank of Commerce Board of Directors and the Hartley Nature Center, which you started very early in this podcast, talking about Hartley. Uh, and you're on the board of directors there. Uh, Leadership Duluth graduate awarded in 2011 for our listeners. That's a big thing around Duluth is to graduate Leadership Duluth as part of our Chamber of Commerce, which has close to 1,500 uh, plus members, which is, it's for a small town, is a, is a really good membership. And you, uh, as an attorney, Minnesota Rising Star of Super Lawyers Magazine 2012 through 2018. Congratulations. That's pretty cool. And I, I do read about those things, and, and it takes a lot of work to be recognized like that. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate it. Appreciate you saying that. Well, it's it's those are some pretty darn big accomplishments. And then briefly, can you tell us this big accomplishment in January of 2023, becoming a partner in the law firm? Yeah, so uh, uh, fortunate enough to have uh, had my my peers here at work uh, uh, vote to uh, name me a, a shareholder in the firm. Um, something that uh, you know is is I think a goal of of most any lawyer who comes out of law school and, and joins uh, uh, a group practice like this. Um, it's not, not for everybody, uh, but, uh, you know, having worked here as long as I have uh, with the folks that, uh, that I've had the uh, pleasure and opportunity to work with, um, it, it's, it's nice to be recognized and to, uh, be offered that opportunity and to really kind of be able now to uh, feel the, the, the sense of, of carrying forward uh, in, in my own little way, a law firm that has uh, a lot of history and tradition and, and good reputation in the community. Well, congratulations. That's a lot of hard work too. And, and a lot of recognition from your peers to, to become a shareholder and partner in the firm. Eric, we're going to totally switch gears on you here. So forget about law now, okay? Okay. We're going to go to what we call our packed question segment. It's rapid fire, so people can just learn a little bit more about you, more than just hockey. Sure. Uh, Eric, favorite place you've ever traveled? Uh, Scotland. Uh, and did you golf there? Th there was some golf involved, yes. Uh, I was fortunate to, to to take that trip with my dad and my and my brother uh, last year. We had some family roots there, um, so it was a, a, a special trip from that perspective. But golf was kind of the uh, uh, took up took up a lot of our time, and it was it was a very special trip. Not a not a bad place to go golfing, right? Not too bad at all. No, beautiful country, uh, and yeah, can't wait for the return trip. Favorite movie? So many. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, probably. Favorite band? 
favorite band uh i don't know i jump around i don't this is probably this may sound like a cop-out but rolling stones i you just can't go wrong i don't know you know all the podcasts we've done when we asked that question i think you're the first one that said the stones i i mean they're they're not from my era but uh i i don't know that i i don't know that there's a there's a bad rolling stones song out there it's just uh it's it, I, I i like it a lot i think it's great and eric best piece of life advice you have ever received um i every day before i uh, went to school as a kid my mom told me to be kind to everyone that i uh, that i came across that day and that is something that uh, i've tried to carry forward uh, every day and it's it's very simple um but it uh it just it is very satisfying uh to be able to interact with people in a kind way and it it yeah some a, a way of honoring my mom as well i'd say oh good on you folks today our very special guest is eric johnson attorney and shareholder at freiberger buchanan smith and Frederick Law Firm in Duluth, Minnesota. If you need a really good lawyer, we know one. His name is Eric Johnson. Eric, thanks so much for being here today. Tom, I had a great time. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for, for spending the time and enlightening us on what it's like to, to you know, be a lawyer in, in every day, but getting to be, you know, all the schooling and education to get there. So thank you for being here. And folks, until next time, unplug from the indoors and recharge in the outdoors. Thank you for listening to another episode of Leader of the Pack. Don't forget to rate this podcast, and we would certainly be grateful if you'd give us five stars. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Follow Duluth Pack on social media at Duluth Pack and shop online at DuluthPack.com. Don't forget to support American jobs and buy American made.